Mortgage Women Magazine. It's where women's voices are heard. Find it free at www.mortgagewomenmagazine.com. So really enhancing the existing products is what's necessary. This is Gated Communities, where we talk about everything you're not supposed to talk about in the mortgage industry. Almost every borrower is looking to see who has the lowest rate, the best down payment assistance, and the affordability programs necessary to buy the home they want. Special purpose credit programs are especially helpful for underserved borrowers, providing unique standards and benefits to make loan qualification easier. But how can you create these programs and get them approved for your own business? What goes into making a special purpose credit program and how effective are they? Today, we have Michael Innes Thompson, Senior Vice President, Head of Community Lending and Development and Fair Lending Center of Excellence at TD Bank. He'll be discussing how he was able to build special purpose credit programs for TD borrowers. So thank you, Michael, for taking the time to come on the show. I'll have you explain a little bit about yourself and, you know, get into the topic of today's show. Katie, I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, my name is Michael Ennis Thompson. I I'm Senior Vice President, Head of Community Lending and Development at our Fair Lending Center of Excellence at TD Bank, America's Most Convenient Bank. And uh, within those segments in the community lending segment, I manage a sales team that's focused on low and moderate income communities, communities of color, and first-time home buyers. On the community development side, I oversee the strategy and execution of the Retail and Commercial Banks Community Reinvestment Act program and the Fair Lending Center of Excellence. I provide uh, expertise and guidance to our consumer credit lines of business, which are TD Auto Finance, our credit card and unsecured lending group, residential mortgages, and small business. Awesome. And today we'll be focusing on special purpose credit programs and why they are so necessary right now. So for those who don't know what this is about, we'll have Michael explain, uh, kind of go over the basics of it for you. So Michael, if you could just kind of bullet point for us what this is and how it can be helpful for lenders. Uh, yes. And and so the Equal Credit, Equal credit Opportunity Act uh, implemented by Regulation B it actually prohibits discrimination uh, in any credit transaction. However, there is a provision uh, that allows for for-profit organizations to establish what are called special purpose credit programs for you know, typically underserved uh, areas or underserved segments uh, in the community. And we would be extending that based on terms that are generally would not be available or would be uh, more expensive to to, the, to those particular segments, it's where some people will say, well, when they hear about special purpose credit programs, well, this sounds like reverse discrimination. It actually is not because it is a carve out within the Equal Credit Opportunity Act uh, and Regulation B. Mm -hmm. Are there special qualifications that you need um, in order to get uh, access to the special purpose credit programs? Well, most special purpose credit programs are either uh, what we call place-based, so they're based on geography, that a majority of minority geographies, Black and Hispanic, or they could be uh, borrower-based, which you could actually specifically target a, a Black or Hispanic 
uh, communities within the, 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 the bank's footprint to offer these programs. So the, the qualifications for the program are usually based on those aspects, but then each lender will develop their own program based on what they view the need to be uh, in their particular community. So it's very important that the lender assess what the need is and how are they going to address that via either be products, marketing, any pricing concessions or the like. Mm -hmm. And let's get into why this could be particularly helpful for people in underserved populations. So, you know, we talked a little bit on this podcast before about um, issues gaining access to credit um, within cer certain segments of the underserved population. So if you're comfortable, you know, going over this and kind of talking about this and, you know, which groups in particular would benefit from special purpose credit programs. So most special purpose credit programs that we've seen are general, and, and at least on the mortgage side, there are ones that exist on the small business side, which are uh, somewhat different. Uh, but on the mortgage side, it's generally focused on increasing the home ownership rate for Black and Hispanic households, and and thus, you know, also in turn helping them to build generational wealth. And so, one of the the, the key things that lenders look at is the uh, home ownership rate. And if you look at the home ownership rate as of the census data of fourth quarter 2022, the white home ownership rate stood at 74.5%. Uh, the black home ownership rate stood at 44.9%. And I think Hispanics uh, was somewhere around 48.7%. And so you can see a stark difference, almost a 30 point difference for black and white uh, home ownership rates. And so that's usually a, a big sign of what's contributing to the difference in the median net worth of blacks versus whites. For example, uh, non-Hispanic whites generally have eight to 10 times more uh, median uh, wealth than uh, non-Hispanic, than blacks or Hispanics. And so that's one, uh, aspect of it. So you're looking at, okay, there, there is a homeownership gap, there is a wealth gap. And then you're also looking at uh, a study that was commissioned by Freddie Mac indicates that Blacks or Hispanics are more likely to have credit scores that are less than 660 than and any other uh, than uh, whites or Asians. So that's also an important fact. And, and another one is based on Humda data, the Humber data shows that Blacks are denied mortgage loans more for debt-to-income ratios than any other race or ethnicity. So when you, when you combine those things together, you say, well, this is clearly a disadvantaged group. And you look at, well, what kind of products and programs are lenders offering? You want to determine, are those programs continuing to contribute to uh you know, or, or actually excluding Blacks and Hispanics because of those characteristics? And are there things that can be done to help uh, narrow that gap? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I want you to kind of briefly go over what's going on in the current market and how it may be affecting underserved populations. Um, therefore, you know, what, why are special purpose credit programs um, so necessary right now? Well, well, the programs are necessary right now, one, not just for this market, right? Because of some of the, the data points I, I, I previously mentioned, you have this big homeownership rate uh, gap 
in home ownership rates, you have you know, median net worth that's uh, you know significantly different between the groups. But this market is potentially uh, is, is is challenging in that uh, if if we go back eighteen months ago, uh, there was a low interest rate market. Uh, home prices were accelerating significantly, so that affected affordability. But at least it was a low interest rate market. Prices have really escalated. And interest rates have gone up significantly since about March of last year. So we, I think we're around 3%. Uh, depending on the product, you might be at 7% today or, or, or even higher. And, and, and market prices or home prices have not really cooled as much as we would like to, them to be. And so you have this phenomenon where you have this high, uh, you know, you have lack of affordability, you have a high interest rate environment. And that's even making it more challenging for first-time home buyers and especially Blacks and Hispanics uh, to try to get into homes while lenders are attempting to uh, do their part to increase the home ownership rate. And so special purpose credit programs allow lenders to then actually work uh, within their credit box, work within, you know, uh, various areas in terms of providing down payment assistance that will allow borrowers to potentially use that money for down payment and or closing costs in this high interest rate environment. We're seeing some uh, borrowers actually using it to what, what we call buy down the interest rate to make it more affordable. So this is where special purpose credit programs can become especially beneficial. And uh, the program that we offer at TD offers a $5,000 lender credit that could be used for either down payment closing cost or to buy down the interest rate. Uh, we have you know, expanded credit criteria that addresses the high debt to income ratios that we've seen and, and learned from studying the Humda data. And there are other credit flexibilities. We have higher, uh, where we call area median incomes and typical uh, Community Reinvestment Act loans. And so this is providing a product and program that's focused on majority, so it's place-based, majority Black and Hispanic communities uh, in an effort to help increase that. And, and we're continuously looking at our program in terms of the down payment assistance, uh, especially in, in this environment. And uh, you know, stay tuned. Uh, we will be looking to have some improvements there in the next couple of months or so. Mm -hmm. And I want to address before we go any further, um, some bias that people may have about underserved borrowers, uh, particularly those who don't have great credit, um, you know, who think of these borrowers as, as not being reliable, as flat up not being qualified. Um, so what do you think uh, about that? And, you know, why should lenders care to help them? Well, some of that could be unfounded, and 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 there are studies that suggest that the credit scoring models that we use today, uh, traditionally use, are, have somewhat had some some bias because of how they were developed. They are actually, you know, AI models that learn from underwriting decisions, and if the population that's being underserved is not represented, there isn't a real. Uh, predictive nature of how that individual will uh, actually pay. So you're seeing a push towards uh, the industry using more diverse credit models. So not just based on one credit model that industry is based on, there are others that are being introduced today that show that they could have just as reliable predictability in terms of default, 
but actually allow more borrowers to get approved. And so you're seeing that push now. You're seeing uh, the Federal Housing Finance Agency, uh, which governs Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, they're actually uh, or will be expanding the use and be using different credit models and not just being based on the, uh, based on, on the last one. So I think just based on the, the direction the industry is going, you can see that there are opportunities to use uh, models that are as predictive and allow more people in and not actually introduce any more significant risk into the system. Mm-hmm. And I apologize if you've already uh, addressed this, but special purpose credit programs, can this be used for any type of loan? Well, it depends on the lender. So for uh, at TD, uh, we have our, our TD Home Access is actually a portfolio product. And so we keep it in our portfolio and it's not saleable in the secondary market. Some lenders are using it with other products. They're using it with just a standard Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac products. Uh, FHA, but but with those products, they're not making they or they they cannot make any credit adjustments. They have to use it the way the product is designed today. Ours, we've made those you know debt to income ratio differences because we keep it in our portfolio, and that's also a good question because the the, the in order for the industry to really adapt special purpose credit programs, there has to be a secondary market outlet for proprietary programs like the one at TD. Uh, and, and while lenders are trying to, to do different things outside of the standard products, but the standard products actually, if you use them today, that they haven't, if they were working well, then we wouldn't be here having this discussion. And, and, and so really enhancing the existing products is what's necessary. So we've kept in our portfolio, uh, the GSEs or Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, uh, and Ginny May, we, we would look to them to really provide an outlet to have lenders deliver special purpose credit programs into the secondary market. And why is that important? Because independent mortgage banks actually originate a significant portion of mortgages today in the market, mm-hmm. and they don't have balance sheets, right? They're, they're dependent on selling their loans in the secondary market and, and playing such a significant role it is very important that they have a, a secondary market outlet to participate in the program. Absolutely. That's interesting. And I, and I want to touch back on, on what you said before about what's going on in the current market. Um, there seems to be a lot of uncontrollable factors at play for lenders, and which is why a special purpose uh, credit program could be so beneficial for lenders to offer. Lenders can't control the amount of affordable inventory on the market or what the Fed does with the interest rates, but it can you know, offer programs to bring in a broader range uh, of borrowers. Um, if you can just kind of add to that, if you'd like, what special... Why special, uh, sorry, why special purpose credit programs um, are so beneficial to lenders? Uh, again, they're beneficial because it allows it added flexibility to, to provide a, a product that's, you know, and if you think back to the definition I gave, it's, you know, providing, you know, the bars would obviously would not have been able to get the credit on the terms or, uh, you know, conditions that would have been traditionally offered, right? So we're, we're, we're tweaking that. But talking about uh, the uh, inventory is actually an interesting topic because lenders are actually engaged in other discussions because we realize that 
you have a pool of ready borrowers. Uh, we, we're, we're seeing a, a movement towards special purpose credit programs, and there is no inventory. So it's 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 like you said, there are uncontrollable things, high interest rate environment. But on the inventory side, there are things that lenders could potentially consider, mm-hmm. and uh, and those could be, could you offer renovation loans in in urban areas where uh, that would help create an affordable supply of ho- homes that today are are under this, uh, are, you know, would, would benefit from repair. Someone would buy it, but they just don't have the wherewithal to renovate the product. So, uh, could lenders be innovative? And providing renovation products or revive, for example, the FHA 203K program that, that was used in years past uh, to you know, rehabilitate uh, uh, product uh, properties. And that allows inventory to, to, to come back into the market. So it wouldn't increase it a lot. We would still need builders to, to build homes, but at least existing stock could be renovated and, and reintroduced into the market. So for for the lending community, it's really incumbent upon us to really take a step back and say, what are the things that we could do to help increase the inventory? And 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 where there is inventory and eligible borrowers, how can we help uh, get them into homes? And 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 the key thing is not just to get them into homes, but to get them into homes where it will be sustainable. Because we just don't want to be, uh, you know, getting marks saying, you know, I put someone in a home, uh, but if it's not being done responsibly, that's just would not be the right approach either. Mm-hmm. That's that's really different. Having a, a creative solution for the inventory problem. That's what it seems to be on the top of everybody's minds, the inventory that's out there and keeping track of inventory. But, you know, little do some people know that they actually, you know, might have a creative solution to that problem. So I want to address what you're talking about with place-based approaches to um, um, implementing the special purpose credit program or being uh, choosing borrowers selectively based on um, race and other factors. So, you know, uh, this was brought up to me through a report from the Urban Institute that said place-based approaches to addressing racial home ownership gaps are gaining traction and more acceptance. Um, the CFPB proposed lenders use homeowners loan corporation redlining maps to establish special purpose credit programs. So you said TD is taking a place-based um, approach. And then there's the um, the other method. And I just kind of want you to explain kind of how you picked these targeted areas um, and why you thought that was the best approach uh, for TD. So TD's footprint today is from Maine to Florida, uh, except Georgia. And so we looked at specific markets where we would have a good representation of 50% or more Black and Hispanic borrowers within those markets. And those are the markets that we picked. And, and, And if you think about it, there is just not a huge population of Blacks and Hispanics, let's say in Maine. But you know, we go to cities like Philadelphia or Washington, D.C., it works. And so that was really the driving factor behind the cities that we picked and, and, and in our place-based approach. It's interesting about the Urban Institute's correlation uh, or, or suggesting that the place-based programs be used uh, can, you know, consistent with the the maps that were drawn, the red line maps that were drawn by the homeowners loan corporation back in the 19 uh, in 1932. 
if you look at most predominantly black and Hispanic areas, those are actually the cities that were redlined because they were disinvested and not invested in, and they've continued to have challenges over the years. So there is a correlation for some of those cities because they would line up with most of those maps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting as well, that you can kind of, you know, it's very sad that these communities have been underinvested in, and this has had such a profound impact on the community. But it also gives you a guide, you know, as a lender of where to implement um, these special purpose credit programs, where they could be most useful. Um, so I believe that targeting um, certain areas could be very, very useful. Um so let's get into the new toolkit created by the MBA and the National Fair Housing Alliance that kind of provides insight on how to launch these programs. So I'll let you kind of um, explain what it says there and, you know, what lenders should keep in mind. So that's actually a very good toolkit because it, it provides a roadmap. Most lenders have had challenges with regard to uh, offering special purpose credit programs because they were concerned about, uh, you know, potential legal ramifications. Like, although it was allowed under the uh, the uh, the Equal Credit Opportunity Act and Reg B, some lenders were uncertain as to whether or not it was it would actually be a violation of the Fair Housing Act. So, from uh, from a discrimination standpoint, those are the two. Uh, anti-discrimination uh, laws that govern uh, lending institutions. So on one hand, they said uh, the ECOA allowed it. We weren't sure about the Fair, uh, the Fair Housing Act. And so in December of 2021, uh, HUD came out with guidance that said, as long as it complies with the ECOA, it is not considered a, a, a violation of the Fair Housing Act. And then you've had several other agency guidance. You've had the CFPB guidance in 2020. You've also had kind of interagency guidance where you've had the CFPB, the FDIC, OCC, um, you know, HUD, DOJ, all come out and, and, and encourage lenders to participate in special purpose uh, credit programs. And, and so that toolkit brings into all bear all those things. And it also starts to outline some of the things that are necessary. I'll probably just walk through a couple of points. One, we talked about it a bit. You kind of have to define the need, right? Is there a need in your market for this program? What is the underserved group that you're going to focus on? Obviously, in most cases, it's it's generally Black or Hispanic populations. You have to decide whether or not you're going to take a, a place-based approach, so majority-minority, or are you going to use a targeted approach uh, with, 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 with regard to it? And then it's important that you, at least I would suggest, that lenders engage outside counsel to provide uh, the legal framework to make sure that the 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 reasons they are establishing their program are consistent and, and well supported from a legal standpoint. And in order to really make your case, the CFPB has really given broad latitude to lenders to say, you can use data, including your own, you don't have to use your own data to establish why you're establishing a special purpose credit program. I think I hit on some of the key ones, the homeownership rate, 
the 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 gap uh, the the wealth gap between uh, black Hispanics and whites, uh, you know, blacks generally carrying a higher debt burden, uh, you know, lack of savings. Actually, TD uh, did a study in 2022 that indicated that 45% of people said that the saving for down payment would be a challenge uh, in, in, in terms of getting to a new home. And so thus you see the, 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 the lender credit that's being provided by us and other lenders to really address that. So you can look at those factors and other publicly available data. You can look at other Honda data or Census Bureau data to establish your case for it. And then it's very important that lenders really engage it's a process right you have to engage with your legal and compliance partners internally you have to uh, and we did it in a parallel path so that we wouldn't lose time you know with your product partners what is it that you want to do with your product uh, how do you want to expand it and what are you expanding it at to income ratios are you requiring less down payment whatever the case is to make the product more favorable to the target uh, group is going to be necessary to have those discussions with your product group. They're going to do modeling. They're going to do forecasting to see, is it the right, or are those the right changes to make? And are they responsible enough, right? You can make a suggestion, but if it shows that 50% of the people would default, that wouldn't be a good idea. So you tweak those things and, and you make it where you're really driving a sustainable program. It's, it also has to be a written plan. The plan eventually has to be written. That's where outside counsel comes in uh, and, 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 and your, your inside counsel really comes in and says, the formulates the plan, and it has to be something that's being monitored because you know, uh, as I do these interviews and I have different discussions, there are questions of, well, what if you're gentrifying a community or helping to gentrify a community, especially with a place based? Mm -hmm. And that could happen, right? Because you're you're doing it in majority black and Hispanic communities, but other people live there too, and you have to uh, allow any resident in that community that you pick to, to, as long as they're eligible for the program, to participate. Monitoring is very important in terms of is it really reaching the goal that you've set for yourself internally. So far, our uh, you know we, we're performing where we want to be. But the, the good thing about a written plan is it has, to, it has to stay kind of how long the plan will be, you'll monitor it, and it also should provide a provision to revisit the plan within its existence to modify it if it's not uh, you know, reaching the population that you've designed it to reach. And, and that gives you the flexibility, flexibility to adjust the plan. So those are some of the high-level things that are very important. And... And last but not least, I would just really underscore the, the legal support that's behind this, both in, in, in uh, the ECOA and now through HUD's uh, clarification with the Fair Housing Act, and just the interagency and CFPB, OCC, FDIC guidance to lenders that these are pro programs that could be used to help you know, improve or decrease the uh, homeownership gap that exists between Blacks, Hispanics, and non-Hispanic whites. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And let's talk a bit about what you, you know, should expect to see in performance and how to measure performance of your special purpose credit program. So just using TD Bank, you know, as an example, if you could go over, you know, some of the results um, of this program, um, you know, either factually with data or anecdotally, um, what has it done thus far? 
So uh, it's non-public data, so I can't share our, our performance. But I, what I can say is, you know, we rolled our program out in March of last year with the expectation that we were in a very low interest rate environment. I think we touched on the benefits of the low interest rate environment, even though affordability was challenging. Mm-hmm. We now are in a high interest rate environment. So rates are probably, like I said, almost two and a half times where they were last March, depending on uh, which week you're in. And so that created a challenge. So people who would have qualified are no longer qualified or they would qualify for a, a, a lesser valued home. What we've seen so far, and based on our internal metrics that we've established for ourselves, the program is performing where we want it to be. And we continuously monitor it on a weekly basis to ensure that any slippage that we will react to it in real time. Mm-hmm. What are some examples, I guess, of realistic um, expectations to come out of the special purpose uh, credit program, especially if it's a community lender that is within a um, a predominantly minority uh, community? So, I mean, so the, the, the beauty of the Home Mortgage Disclosure Act data is lenders have their, their historical data. So they could look back and say, Here's where we have historically trended lending to Blacks or Hispanics. And by offering this program, are we seeing an upward trend in our in, for our particular institution? And I think that is the metric, right? Are you seeing an upward trend? But if the line continues to remain flat, you'll say, well, I, I am getting some more Black borrowers, but am I lending to more non-Hispanic whites? And, and, and it's not, it's it's offsetting, right? So those are the things that lenders, whether community bank or any bank that has this product, will really have to look at and say, we want to see meaningful change year over year. And 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 the thing is, the public gets to see the Home Mortgage Disclosure Act data or HUMDA data. They will be taking probably a look at lenders who have special purpose credit programs and, and say, well, you've had this program. Uh, and, and it will take a couple of years, right? Because once once you it's, uh, implement the program, uh, HUMDA data lags about 12 months. So it'll be several years before you start to see the real lift. We're actually monitoring it on a real-time basis, even though that it's proprietary at the time we're doing it until we actually report our data each year, uh, March 1st, to our regulator. Mm-hmm. And you kind of touched on this before um, about how, you know, special purpose credit programs are not, you know, you shouldn't necessarily implement it because of what the market is doing. It's meant to, you know, help borrowers who have trouble gaining access to the financing that they need. Um, You know, it's perfectly acceptable to use it at any time. What do you think about the lender community right now? And are they taking advantage of these special purpose credit programs or down payment assistance programs? Um, or do you think they're just paying special attention to them, perhaps because of the, the market that we're in? Uh, no, they're, 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 it's, it started to have momentum before the high interest rate market. Mm-hmm. Uh, and And you're seeing more of them come out now because... You, you, they're kind of post this, uh, the, the the special purpose lender uh, toolkit that was was established, and then this is kind of post uh, HUD saying it's as long as it complies with Reg B and ECOA, it's not a, a, a violation of Fair Housing Act. So people are starting to have some more comfort from the potential legal blowback that they thought they would be having 
And it takes a while to really get these programs up and running, right? Because once you've decided you'll do it, there are implementation strategies. You have to work with your technology partners, your product partners to make sure you launch it. For TD, we started in August of, of 21. We launched in, in March of 22. So we, we had a, a, a pretty quick runway. I, I will tell you, uh, after we launched our program and I've done some different interviews, I've had other lender peer groups that have reached out to me to have a discussion. Well, how did you get it done? You know, I've been having this challenge with my organization. How did you overcome that challenge? So there is a groundswell within the lend lending community to get these things done. But as I said, one of the key things will be for the, the government-sponsored enterprises, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and HUD, or Jenny Mae, to really come up with a product that could be saleable given the fact that a huge percentage of loans originated today in the market, uh, mortgage loans are originated by independent mortgage banks. We don't have balance sheets like banks do. And they are in turn looking, if they were to participate, they would have to have an outlet uh, in the secondary market to sell them or transfer the loans from their balance sheets. I see. And you, you said some people would call you with challenges. Um, let's just... Uh, in, in which way, you know, where is this challenge coming from? Is it within implementing? Is it, you know, with with seeing performance and results? Well, typically, if you could give an example of a challenge someone went through and what you told them. Uh, so one of the biggest ones, obviously, is the legal challenge. So I, I go back to the guidance that the regulatory guidance has, has been given over the last uh, 18 months or so. Uh, frankly, the other one is whether, uh, you know, why we chose a place-based versus a borrower-based program. And that's what they really struggle with internally because they would like to have it be as most effective as possible. But there are different challenges that come with each, right? So on the, on the place-based, like we have uh, individuals who say, well, you could potentially accelerate gentrification. Well, we, we will be monitoring that. On a borrower base, the question is, if someone comes to you and say, says that they're Black or Hispanic, and let's say they don't look Black or Hispanic, do you challenge them, right? And you couldn't, right? So, so some lenders are really struggling with, I would like to do it, but what if people just say who they are? And I, I'm not going to ask for birth certificates, and we're not going to do those types of things, and then the program is not effective. And then on the borrower-based one, there is also this, well, while it's legal under the construct of both the ECOA and the Fair Housing Act, it could potentially be a headline, a negative headline for a bank that could be something like Bank ABC is reverse discriminating. Now, you and I have been having this conversation on why it is not reverse discrimination, because but the general public doesn't know that, right? So a headline like that could be uh, damaging uh, in terms of uh, the bank's reputation. And, and you'd have to really just kind of go into a, a cycle of how do you address this issue? And so I do think both the public and banks need to be uh, educated. Well, banks understand the prospect. I do think, you know, if there could be op-eds like this to the public that it is legal, and if they see headlines like this, they actually do their research and, and understand that this is allowed under the regulation. 
Yes, absolutely. And, you know, we've got, we've gotten comments like that before for writing about related topics, um, you know, giving um, people from a particular background um, more access to a product or more assistance um, with their financing, um, you know, the listeners um, for this particular podcast would be more understanding, but it's true that the general public um, can be, be confused about what this is about unless they have a thorough understanding of the history and, you know, where these um, problems arise. So, you know, being a bank, you kind of have more of an advantage um, as a depository bank. People bank with TD. You see TD Bank, you know, driving on your way to work. You know, there's basically storefronts. And whereas, you know, independent, you know, non-banks, you know, kind of lack that um, that presence. Um, so a lot of times they really rely on marketing to get the word out there. But, you know, if you guys have a marketing strategy for this, I would definitely be interested in knowing what that is. Um, but my question is, how do you spread more consumer awareness about special purpose credit programs? Um, you know, just like with down payment assistance, I imagine most people don't really know you know, what this is, that it's available to them. Um, they think they can't qualify for a mortgage because they don't have the credit, they don't have the money, and therefore they don't even get the chance, give themselves the chance to talk to a loan officer who might say, hey, all of this is available to you. So, you know, how do you, how, do, how can you market this effectively? So with our special purpose credit program, we started with the community. So community organizations, nonprofits, advocacy groups, so that they could get the word out. Uh, it, and we also have well, you know, our, our mortgage loan officers who are in these markets. And so they are also talking to their, what we call centers of influence or so realtors, attor closing attorneys, uh, attorneys, uh, you know, and getting the word out that way. We haven't gone with a direct marketing. Uh, it, it is available on our, our on our public website. We haven't gone with a direct marketing because of the confusion that it could cause because the different eligibility criteria and uh, you'll probably just have a slew of people applying and we have to say, well, you don't meet the income requirements or uh, whatever the case is, or you make, you know, you make too much money or your debt to income is different. It, it just it would be very difficult by working with specific sources like realtors who, who people actually go to for loans or, closing attorneys, they can say, you know, you know, guess what? You know, they come to real time looking for a home. The realtor can say, well, you know, are you aware of this TD program that's eligible in your market for you to purchase a loan? We found that to be probably most effective. We're looking at other ways that we could market. Are there ways we could have really targeted marketing? We're evaluating that. And as we speak to different lenders and 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 even this the special purpose uh credit toolkit you know contemplate some of the things that lenders could do to really get the word out so it's somewhat of a challenge but the lenders that are participating today are seeing good results and uh if you think about it differently and, and i think you you kind of just punted me a a, a good ball here you said that most IMBs or independent mortgage banks advertise a lot. You don't really see a lot of advertising from banks about their mortgage products in general, right? Because we really rely on our sales force. And like you said, our presence and our brand 
to get the word out. And, and we're using the same tactics as we would for any mortgage product. Could this be uh, heightened some more? That's what we're looking at to see how we can be even more effective. Awesome. Interesting. And I liked your point about, you know, educating realtors. Um, that's a great way, first of all, to build relationship with even more realtors is by saying, we do this thing that could be really useful for your clients. Um, and oftentimes they're the they're on the front line. They're the first person that a client would even go to most of the time. So thank you so much, Michael, for joining the podcast. I think you might have to get running, um, <laughs> which is totally okay. We talk to a lot of busy people. So thank you for coming on and for educating the audience more about special purpose credit programs. This is Gated Communities, hosted by me, Katie Jensen, for the Mortgage News Network. All episodes are produced by T.G. Kudem Peror and Matthew Mullins. Our head of multimedia is Mike Savino, and our editor-in-chief is Christine Stewart. Make sure you've subscribed to Gated Communities so you get future episodes and be sure to rate and review it so others can find it. The song you heard at the beginning was Wild Side by Saint Society. And the song you hear now is Will You Dance With Me by La La Nia. This podcast is copyrighted by American Business Media. OCN is the largest producer of events for mortgage professionals. We bring the action to you. See when we'll be in your area. Just visit us at www.originatorconnectnetwork.com. That's www.originatorconnectnetwork.com.